Well, let's get into it then, since we're already doing it. Oh, are those your notes? Though you have paper notes. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> is it novel? Well, I guess it's, it's the novel, novel. to long write <laughs> notes these days. I think it is. Welcome to another episode of Frame Rate, the podcast where we rate frames. Um, our guest today has high voice recognition among our fan base. Hello! So you probably already know it's <laughs> Tiny voice. Tim from the 60s, <laughs> brought nice. back to life for nice. the purposes of this show. Uh, welcome, Soren Bowie. Thank you very much for having me. It's always me. good to see you, man. This is And this is a way to force it. <laughs> Find something productive to do. With me, as always, of course, also is... Abe Epperson. He's being quiet because he was loading his notes, but he's here now. I'm here now, and I'm, note, I'm noted up. Yeah, and I'm going to get the basically the formalities out of the way so we can just go nuts. Yeah. Oh or hog God. wild, if you will. Right. Um, this episode is brought to you by Small Beans patron Josh M. Naleski. And uh, I don't usually do this. The movie's called Night Riders, uh, George A. Romero, 1981. But I, th- I wanted to read the email that came along with the request to cover Night Riders mm-hmm. as sort of a window <laughs> into the psyche of the man we're dealing with here. <laughs> um, and maybe it can launch us into the discussion. I always wanted to be a film director, says Josh. So leading, managing a group of people is something that I knew I needed to learn. Abe being a very talented director and Michael having started an acting troupe. Yada, yada, yada. Thank you for the kind words. Um, okay, so he sees this film as like a metaphor for the entire process of trying to control a creative. Right, oh. like Ed Harris is the director. Yeah, yeah. That, I hadn't thought about that. This and is I Inception think before Inception. That immediately it. is going to help me untangle this mess. But yeah, um, George Romero intended the setup of the Ren Fair jousting show as analogous to his indie film crew working in 1970s Pittsburgh. As professional filmmakers, what do you think of a non-union crew making a stunt spectacular where injuries were literally a daily occurrence? Did the participants know that? Okay, so the moral ramifications. But that's interesting to note, too, that... I guess a lot of people got hurt making this movie. Yeah, yep. that's good we should, to know. We should like do an explanation of what the movie please, is, right? <laughs> please do. Go for it. Oh, Sorry. okay. Um, uh, you were also specially requested as guest because they believe that of all the cracked persona and associated universes, you would be the person who would enjoy the movie. I really like. You this. did. Yeah. Good. I all right. Great. I liked it more than I thought I was. <laughs> that going is to. so fucking hilarious to me. <laughs> I can't that wait. That. I can't wait. Uh, so the, the it's, a, it's a movie about um, some chivalric knights <laughs> who ride motorcycles, <laughs> <Nice. laughs> ride motorcycles uh, in a traveling fair, basically, and. They joust on these motorcycles. They fight each other, and uh, the whole fair is centered around them fighting each other and generally doing damage to one another. But there are analogs for all these characters from Knights of the Round Table throughout it as well. So it ha- it's trying to hold on to some of this mysticism of um, a Once and Future King, and it also has caliber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also has that kind of like gritty dirtiness that all early 80s movies had. It's like Easy Rider meets Excalibur. That's yes. exactly what I was just going to say. I was yeah. like Easy Rider and Pamela. when I saw the trailer, I thought it was set in the past. 
or was surrealistic, like Zaragoz or something. Because well, the outfits, the, even when they're not on, when they're not sh- on show, like they're not doing their performance, they're still wearing some really Ed bizarre Harris, shit. The king whips himself with a switch every morning in cold water, <laughs> as like I don't know to toughen up. He's got yeah. some penance he's paying. Yeah, and they also sleep naked in forests and stuff. Like it, it's a real Age of Aquarius out it's there. It's very. It, it's hard to put a pin in exactly when we're talking about because yes, all the audience members seem very zeitgeisty they're like 1982 for sure but yeah the people in the show are who it's hard to say what time they are because they do have like they they all believe very much in this knighthood and like the this community that they built that has a king and like how that king can fall and what's important and like if he gets knocked down in battle somebody else can be king right then mm-hmm. and they all believe in all of those rules and those yeah. rules aren't real rules <laughs> they, they just, just the commune has agreed upon them yeah you know how like if you knock out the director no one questions <laughs> yeah, it it's, it works, it's highlander rules uh yeah and then there's an added layer of but then they definitely exist in the modern world because yeah. the t- tension of it's like a, any movie where a band breaks up because money gets involved. It's mm-hmm. like there's tension about... I hate this movie. <laughs> but, uh, and I think if you know my persona, Josh probably could have predicted that as well. Or like, this is the first movie we've covered because usually we pick movies that are we find top shelf. Yeah. yeah. This is the first movie that I feel obliged to say to the audience, I don't actually recommend you spend time in your life watching but I'm open to people making the mm-hmm. counterpoint. But I would feel bad if a thousand people wasted their time on this movie because of me. Um, we, this, this, is, this, is, this is like ground we've covered before. Because mm-hmm. last time I was on the show, we talked about Monster oh, Squad. Oh, that's And right. you had the exact same opinion We about bring Monster you in Squad. for the stinkers, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, usually we go... Take out the trash day <laughs> frame rate. But that reminds me of, I mean, Dave Bell is like that. He likes so many movies I don't like, and I don't think he's lying. Like, yeah. he enjoyed them. So I mostly want to hear from you guys. Abe has been mysterious. Did you well, like I it? Well, I want you to finish the fucking email. Or no, we're, we're done with that. Oh, we're, we're done, done with, with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was sort of doing a uh, plot recap, and I think so, the last thing to point out is it's the band starts to break up, and there's tensions, yeah, and then they um, make up. <laughs> it's really tenuous right from the start that this group will stay together. It's yeah. basically like if there was a a Burning Man commune that was like trying to survive outside of Burning Man and you're like, no, 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 this thing doesn't have legs outside of this, yeah. this like one very specific area <laughs> and everyone starts to branch off. It's like a Ren Fair. They replace horses with, they replace horses with motorbikes. That's basically the pitch, which is hilarious to me because one of the trivia facts that I, I read is that it was the producer's idea to make sure they stay under budget to do that. Whoa. That was not a part of the original pitch for Marrero. The idea that instead of horses, it's bikes. Okay, because I was going to say, having been to Ren Fairs before, this troupe does exist. There are traveling troops that yeah. do the Ren Fair joust shows, and they ride horses. And they have horses <laughs> yeah. in their commune, yeah. and it makes yeah. sense. So like Romero's pitch was just how he loved that part of that uh, society of creative anachronism. Like traveling yeah. carny and, folk and see and their was drama. Like trying to, like, and he was trying to do a thing about like how they have a commune, and they live by a code, and it's an Arthurian legend code, and that was his story. This is supposed to be his Robert Altman Nashville, yeah. you know, and... Uh, then the producer was like, uh, because of horses, horses are hard to deal with. Mm. We're only going to have one horse at the end in like a dream sequence. Where he imagines he's on a Everyone horse. else is just riding Harleys. Yeah. And he's like, all right. <laughs> and well, he convinced villain, him. But the, it's the, so crazy because that's the pitch. The right, pitch is right. it's motorcycles. 
And the villain inside the troop, speaking of, is a legendary effects person, Tom Savini. Yeah, yeah. So there's the external world where the villains are like agents and managers who are tempting people with with the intense commercial success that ran fair jousting, <laughs> that untapped potential. He's like, I'm going to make you huge, baby. Yeah. But within the Arthurian world, Morgan Le Fay is the villain, as in the legend. Mm-hmm. And it's a dude named Morgan, played by Tom Savini. Who I, ju- yeah. I just want to mention that up top, because he's like... All the gore effect movies, he's like the godfather right. of those. It was I didn't know he acted, and he's fine in this actually. Uh, I think he does a decent job. From Dust Till Dawn too, I think. He's mostly in stuff where he's yes, cast he by is. directors as respectful nods oh, to okay. his legendary career in right. gore effects. Uh, to answer your question though, which I think is going to make this interesting, <laughs> whether he liked the movie because uh, I didn't <laughs> like it or hated it. I thought <laughs> so. I'm in the middle, but I, it's not like I'm. I feel good. I feel bad about it. It's. I think very specifically they had. They're they're holding in their hands a losable slugger. They're gonna knock it out of the park, and they just whiff as hard as you can. <laughs> but the shit they're talking about is great. There's but they're the, just—it's not a good movie. To me, but it's, it's yeah. one of the best things they could be talking about at that time. George Romero specifically, for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of layers to the pitch and the premise and everything. The lack of connection between the elements is what becomes so. Like for example, Ed Harris plays the side of like the troop can't break up no he's matter Arthur. what he's yeah. Arthur and he plays Billy, Billy. And King William King William uh, but the other people are like well the real world exists we're just trying to feed our families and stuff i think we're going to take this deal and uh, he refuses to sign autographs and stuff, and I just need an explanation. When he's questioned on that by his Maid Marian equivalent, the Queen Lady, yeah. um, she's like, why won't you give kids autographs? It sabotages the group. And he's like, because I don't do this to be a hero. I'm trying to slay a dragon. <laughs> what does he literally mean? I don't, I'm like, what do you, it's never followed up on. Is the dragon, does he mean the dragon of capitalism by being a hippie? Does he mean he's keeping these ragtag yes. people off of heroin? because they have they're off the streets they're in his troop what's the dragon the purity of the event i think is what a lot of these like let's just call them cults you know like (laughs) that's just basically what they are the like these communes were all about the idea of like disassociating themselves from what they find negative about society by forming a new society the idea that we just band together that is the idea that he's standing for and as the king he's charged with maintaining order and making sure it stays together. So when he says this is like when he's like yelling at the kid, I'm not going to sign your auto, uh, my picture autograph yeah. because that's not the kind of thing I do. I'm not evil Knievel. They don't understand what we're doing here. I think what he means is that he's talking about specifically going to the base elements of what makes a community and building it from nothing Instead want, yeah. of ascribing to the social I think it's yeah. It's, I wondered if there could be a heroin illusion just because he whips himself in the mornings Maybe. and they all talk about trying to stay clean. But go on, sorry. I think that it... So it, keeping with the the analog of, of this is representative film and like yeah. that he's a director. Like he's not doing it for the stardom. The reason that he doesn't like that the kid <laughs> wants his autograph is because the kid is trying to get it in a magazine that has... 
him presented as sort of this evil Knievel figure. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not doing it for the spectators. Like, I'm not, this isn't for the presentation. But you're it, right, it, you're jousting on motorcycles. Right. Who else would you be doing what it the for? What the fuck do you think you're doing? I'd say when a director exactly. is like, you're doing this to put fucking butts in the seats and eyes on the screen. Like, that's the whole point. Yeah. But a director would be like, or a really lofty ideal director would be like, I, no, I'm doing it because I need to get this vision out. Like, this is yeah. my thing. This is my baby and yeah. I need yeah. to make it. And is, this is the same thing with him. It's like, no, this whole community, this whole dirt bike <laughs> jousting situation this is my baby i'm not doing it to be evil knievel yeah people can come watch if they want yeah. but that's not what this is about and, and everyone around him everyone all the good He's guys too are like man we have to get paid money this is exactly right like this is what i'm saying uh the i i <laughs> That type of director, that person you're describing, is like my least favorite type of director, <laughs> and maybe person, <laughs> because yeah. they are so insufferable about the idea of being ephemeral, yes. and like so lofty, and like they're so up their own ass. He has yeah. a mute Native American friend. <laughs> Come on. Yes. He also, my favorite is... The Three-Eyed Raven he fights, yeah. and then has With, dreamed about his whole life. <laughs> yeah, Blackbird they call him a yeah. couple times, but that's it. The guy who witnesses his like random death. <laughs> but uh it is also yeah it's so directory for me when everyone in the crowd is legitimately enjoying the show um and someone has to go deal with some business pippin the announcer i think yeah who's deciding whether he can come to terms with homosexuality which i liked that arc but it was pretty straightforward (laughs) but um so like no one's on mic and someone in the van just turns on rock music yeah and everyone is like yeah, and they start like grooving. Like the, the audience, whole audience yeah. is like, "This is dope." Of course, you're on yeah. motorcycles, jousting. Rock music is perfect, and he like, it's Ed Harris too. So he's a great actor. It like dies inside because they don't get it. Yeah, he like, gets walks up from over his to throne. the van and like, gets to the lute music. <laughs> he's like, "This is not the music that goes with my vision of what this is." Yeah. And why? Because it's anachronistic. Because you're on motorcycles. Okay. By the way, they're not even on motorcycles. They're ninety percent of the time on small motorized small. dirt bikes. Yeah, yeah sure. it's All not even dirt a big dirt deal. Bikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they drive around on Harley sometimes, but to it's travel dirt between bikes. towns. Yes, yeah. Yeah. like their lawyer Steve. They have a motorcycle riding lawyer who looks like Michael Bay, by who the is way. so fucking down with what they're doing. Yes, like a, he's a powerful, intelligent, capable lawyer who's also like, I love what you guys are doing, man. I'll meet you at the next stop yeah. on my Harley. I would like to camp and eat some edibles, and then I will meet you at the next stop. <laughs> I they're love so that. lucky <laughs> to have found that lawyer to protect them. I love them. that not once but twice in this movie he just fucks off and drives somewhere, and they're like, "Where's Steve?" And they <laughs> yeah. like have to go find him. <laughs> they're lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, people are constantly disappearing from yeah. the troop in this, and like, and then when they come back, they're they're like insulted that everyone kept mm. going without them. They're like, "No, what is this? A fucking council meeting? Yeah. You can't do you that can't without do me. That. I'm not here." Uh, okay, so here's something I want to do because uh, that's a perfect scene to bring bring up the music one because I totally see what Soren's saying about the director thing, and I think that that's absolutely right. Uh, here's why I think it's a bad movie. Uh, and specifically because it's trying so hard to be like that. I was talking about Nashville, Robert Altman. It's like a slice of life. Sometimes they would take cameras and just follow side characters and just be like, you guys are on the road, follow them, record them, improv some scenes, figure out. That's why, by the way, this movie, the rough cut was 17 hours long. Jeez. And also they shot in 90 days, well. which is not 
insane back then. But that's this like is, a healthy that's amount. Very but similar to Easy Rider's factoids. Exactly. Yeah, he's exactly. trying. This he's is trying George Romero build. of Dawn of the Dead yeah. trying to make his epic 70s like <laughs> he's just, road movie. He's trying to marionette all these things. So if you're looking at Romero as a director who wants to do this thing, and we're looking about the, the content itself, it does this interesting thing, which it makes of its protagonist, Billy, Ed Harris, its antagonist, where like we're yeah. just laughing about how everyone is like, I need to eat. Why are you doing this shit? Well, let's just take the money and then keep doing whatever we want to do. One for them, one for us. kind of. And remember Romero's coming out of his, you know, like, just make another slasher, just make another slasher. So there's a scene where Ed Harris, specifically after he turns the music off and everyone's like, music, music. There's a fan because it's so hot yeah. and he's in his armor and stuff he's like that. He's in the tech van. That's going back and forth and he's hot and he's sweating. And he grabs the fan and forces it to put wind on him as it like clicks and protests like you do in a rotating fan. Yeah. And that is a metaphor, whether or not they knew, for why he's the antagonist. Because what he's essentially doing is he's forcing everyone under his will well, to do the thing he his wants fans. his way. It's literally <laughs> the fan. It's literally a fan. He's strangling the fan. Yeah. And the fans, when the fans are outside and being like, boo, boo. <laughs> and the end of the way. movie is that he is a Christ figure, that he like yeah. gives himself up for this, and everyone's like comes back, even though the for band is yeah. They come back for the, yeah, some of them left, but most of them come back, and they have hugs, and there's like eight endings in this fucking movie. Yeah. And it's just like, why is he the guy who's the special boy? Like, what did he do to do you think he wanted? Did he know he was going to get hit by that bus too? Was that a suicide by bus? Well, he's been, I think he's been trying to commit suicide the whole movie. Like right from the start, like the very first thing where the guy's like, I got a new weapon and it fucks everybody up. And they're like, you can't use that. You can't use that. And Ed Helms is King's like, you know what? Use it. I don't care. And, and then, then he, he goes, goes I'll the fight battle. you. Yeah. yeah and tries to get hit by this <laughs> yeah. thing. Like the whole movie, he's trying to die. When he sees the, the, crow figure coming at him on a motorcycle he's like there's a look in his eye like yes finally i've been waiting yeah. for this guy like he's not from the beginning when you see him whipping himself you're like oh I'll see him. that's a red flag this man's not healthy and yeah. then the rest of the movie he's just trying to die i think you're absolutely right about that he's, it's a <laughs> self-destructive it, tendency of artists so is, is that what, what george romero about. feels like himself well is I, don't think this, I don't think this guy is uh, a representative of george romero i don't think george romero i think more he's abstract. decided mm. i don't think he thinks that's necessarily even the hero of this well you definitely get a shift that i think is intentional where tom savini looks like a villain because he happens to have like hook nose and like gargamel eyes yeah and he's morgan and if you know arthurian legend yeah. you're like he's gonna be the bad guy he's the one who sneaks a metal weapon into combat mm -hmm. he's the one who injures king arthur so you're like this guy's a piece of shit then is and I, he cheats on his very admirable girlfriend repeatedly which gets resolved weirdly but regardless yeah. there is a shift where he you realize that the movie's going to be more complex than that he is not just I thought it was going to be very straightforward, not three hours long. I thought it was going to be like this evil guy in the motorcycle gang gets uppity and all the good yeah. motorcyclers beat him. And Morgan becomes not the villain at all. No. Because he starts going like, I oppose you, King. And you're like, that's the villain. And he's like, because we literally like can't feed the children in the troop. And you're like, well, that's pretty reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think, yeah, the, there's no, that was the thing when watching this movie is you're like, I don't totally understand who the bad guy is because every time that you think that he might be the bad guy, he turns around and will go up to Ed Harris after he beat him and was like, 
all right, the uh, the mace is out. We're not using that mace anymore. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah. Apologizes yeah. to him and like and bows to this king essentially. And I, you're like, well, okay, well maybe he's not that bad. And then later he kind of goes off with these people in the in search of money. And yeah. uh, you're like, okay, well then then he's bad. He's bad for that. But then the woman who he's with is like, oh, my boyfriend's coming back soon. You're like, and you kind of feel bad for him a little bit because yeah. he started to fall for this woman. Mm-hmm. And like, it's it's a really weird situation where every time you have a a bad guy sort of presented, you start to feel very bad for him in this. And you're like, well, there, may, I don't know who the bad guy is anymore. Joey uh, Bon Tempe or Joey Good Times yeah. is pretty. I think <laughs> he's our only fully like villainous foil that you want to see who like is, slip uh, in the mud. By the way, Gennaro the lawyer in Jurassic Park. Oh, yep. yeah. yeah. The guy who gets eaten on the toilet. Um, they're also and, and he's oh, equally insufferable in this. Is all. That, apparently, that's that dude's thing. All right, <laughs> I have a question. Was it a bit, or did he... He introduced himself as Italian and then immediately lost his Italian accent. Oh, I didn't even notice that he had one at the beginning. Yeah. I just noticed his name was Italian, but not his accent. They, like, introduced him as really? Italian and he starts talking <laughs> a very, like... Well, hey, if you were, like, taking a bunch of drugs, doing a 90-day, 17-hour movie... Yeah. There's... I would believe it that he was like, I'm going to try something and that take got in. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I I'd thought they were doing back. something maybe that I had missed. Where like, it was so like, I like this movie better and better as we talk yes. about it. I think I'm such a structuralist that it was really, it's hard for me to like it because you can feel that it was 17 hour movie it's, cut down to three hours. Yeah. That yeah. could be 90 minutes. Yes. That it's is because like it's fatal structure. to me. <laughs> it, it doesn't care about structure. No. That's a tendency. It's very 60s, 70s. 70s, yeah. 60s, 70s movies did this. Like that's a lot of like the idea of the ensemble instead of the protagonist. Yeah. As a kind of like response or, uh, or a mechanism of the hippie movement in general. And it, it, obviously this is 81. But like it's kind of talking. This is kind of like Unforgiven for communes. This movie, I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> like if we, in the analogy, it's as good as Western, Unforgiven. Yes, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say so, but no. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they have like even the bad guys. Even there, there are Nazis in this movie. There are Nazis that show Nazis. up at the camp, and they're not even totally the bad guys because the Nazis are kind of the bad guys. But then our heroes catch up to these Nazis who are raising hell, and they're like, "That's some really good writing." You guys are really <laughs> yeah. good on your motorcycles. Yeah. That was it. I know, of course, it's the swastika has been fraught since it came to the public's attention. But I feel like it. There is still some like it was a simpler timiness. Because yeah, they have basically like a comedic like Dukes of Hazard style rowdy biker gang who just sort of casually have swastikas on some of their foreheads. <laughs> which I just think in a modern day movie, right. more time would have been spent on right. understanding yeah. why. It was just kind of like, I don't know, what's an easy way to Biker make them shitty? I don't know, it's... put them some swastikas or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's enough. That's a good shorthand for bad. Yeah. And how about the sound of motorcycles? <laughs> yeah. Some of them great, some of them what? <laughs> this, there's a particular synth sound that is not anything related to any real world sound and there's toys you used to get you know those toys where you'd press a button it would do different sounds like there it's one of the sounds off that toy it's (laughs) and they use it in place of every Mm -hmm. motorcycle sound but they also use it for like radio static uh People falling in gravel, water running like a river. It makes no, the sound design makes no sense unless there's some amazing hidden meaning that everything's motorcycles, <laughs> man. But like, it's amazing to me as a solution for your motorcycle movie that they clearly took all the sound out and just added that sound in anytime there's motorcycles. Yes. But I, it's, I think it completes the picture that, that George Romero is trying to create, which is 
if this was a group of actual people trying to make a movie together, absolutely this is the final product you would get. You'd be like, okay, everybody seems really good at maybe one thing. Yeah. And I don't totally know what's going on. It feels like maybe everybody wasn't totally on board with this movie in the first place. I love that their <laughs> Friar Tuck is clearly just a dad having a midlife crisis. <laughs> like, he's not fucking even that love, into their thing. I fucking love that arc. He's like, that's an easy role. Oh, I go on tour and stand around drinking booze? Fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's the funky, he's the funky Friar. Is he's that the funky Friar. And he, like, he has this sexual relationship with the photographer, photographer of yeah. someone doing a piece on them. Uh, I also love their fuck scene. <laughs> their fuck scene where they're... With pizza? <laughs> cheesy Yeah, pizza. Josh, our patron, said I believe that that's Friar Tuck canon now. The movie's progressive <laughs> because it shows overweight people fucking, which I think context also... It's not like a flattering, empathetic look no. at overweight people fucking. I, no. There's one, th- yeah, one thing that I realized from this movie is that it, that was of, of a time when, man, we really hated fat people so much. But we love nudity. And yes. we're like, everyone should be naked. But if they look bad naked, <laughs> we're going to make, them make a, a joke. We're going to make them eat pizza <laughs> yeah. with their fucking. And then the only other fat person in the movie is this is the abusive dad of the, like Lancelot's girlfriend. Fat slob jerk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is not a word, not a phrase that anyone has ever or, said uh, other one, than this movie. One of the times Sir Alan fucks off and meets his hippie friends, there's a chubby dude with a beard who looks like me. Did you notice that guy? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Like, no, I didn't notice that he looked oh, like you, but now that like I think about it. He has kids. He has two Wheaton. kids. Yeah, yeah. modern yeah. day Will Wheaton. Yeah. Yeah, so we haven't talked about Alan and Julie, too. Alan... I th- there's definitely juxtaposition between Morgan, who wants to be director, which is yeah. funny because I'm wondering, does he literally want to direct the show that's in this movie? Mm. No, he wants to play the king temporarily in this system where the king changes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not so evil. That's the system, isn't right. it? Yeah. It's just um, so hard to do, as he says. But then there's like a white knight, Sir Alan, whose whole thing is... He's Galahad, He would never want to be... Yeah, he's not Galahad. He would never want to be king. He would never want to oppose or dethrone Billy but he considers just leaving because he can't survive within the troop anymore. And uh, that's about that, I guess, except that he takes a woman. <laughs> that's such a weird art. But his girlfriend, Julie, is a random fan that we see at the who's beginning. definitely not 18. Who's the <laughs> abusive fat dad. She it, has abusive fat dad who yeah. runs away from her dad pre, pre, for like oh, five minutes and disappears on the bike with the with this guy and then yeah. presumably is on tour with them for weeks yes yeah well because they he goes to back to her house with her and just leaves her there well and no, she yeah <laughs> she, she bails and she says i don't want to be like she she's a runaway yes she runs away with her family so she they go back to her house he and she yeah. go back to the house the mom has now been beaten up because the dad blames her for the daughter running away and uh she comes downstairs sees her mom's black eye and she goes that's because of me isn't it and her mom kind of does like a yeah, I mean a little, and, yeah. and then she she gets mad and walks out the door, and he stands there, and this nice woman who has been abused and will continue to be abused comes and takes his orange juice and walks up to the kitchen, <laughs> right. and he walks out too, which is also something that used to happen in old movies where when you you see domestic abuse, everyone goes, oh man, that's sad. On with the plot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah just no, like, but there, put that under the rug. <laughs> yeah. But am I wrong that their final scene is also him pulling up on his motorcycle and dropping her off at her house in the middle of the night? And she's like, but I don't want 
there be, I want to go with you still. And he's yeah. like, I'm done with you though. Yeah. He does like, that I'm multiple sorry. times. My yeah. favorite is when he's like, our king is hurt. And then, uh, cause they're fucking in the forest and yeah. that, our intro and to like, the king is hurt. Yeah. And he's like, he comes in and he's driving his, uh, truck, I guess. Cause Friar Tuck has a truck. Friar truck. And, then, <laughs> and then, and then he sees just naked people. And then he's like, wait, our king's hurt. He's like, you can get a ride with Friar Tuck. I'm bailing. And she's like naked. And yeah, she's, she's like, what? Why? Oh, that's true. Because, yeah, that would not fly in a movie today no. without creepy overtones is he leaves this young he's woman cool. with a fat naked dude and goes, you don't know him, but he's cool. I'm out of here. Yes. <laughs> yes. And we know that guy is cool. Like, he's from all we can tell. But Jesus Christ, to just yeah. leave a woman with a fat naked guy who's like, don't worry, I'm because cool. Because your king is hurt? <laughs> yeah, the king is hurt. I must go. <laughs> I must go. But I will say, Ed Harris's clothing all throughout was awesome. Fucking on and point. A lot his of, signature yeah. bike and his signature armor were dope with yeah, the they gold are, plumes. The chest, the chest plate is pretty dope, too. Yeah, they, don't, they don't shy away from making this as silly look, everybody as silly looking yeah. as possible. Like Their helmets are big cardboard weird things that it's, then have a huge plumage on the top it's of It's like going to an actual Ren Faire where you yeah. see like, oh, that is a full, like that's a full suit of armor and he's on an iPhone. You know, it's like it's both of them and yeah. it's fine. Ex- yeah. And in those sequences, the fight sequences, I made a note of it so it must be true or <laughs> like it was notable. The editing itself is very tight on a moment-to-moment basis. Like I think George Romero is a good filmmaker so now I'm slowly understanding why it's not up my alley. But like I still appreciate the movie, but it's 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 too loose. It's too loose. It's very for me. loose. And the fight scenes are long and weird and like <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of the, close up shots of 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 battle axes hitting armor and doing no damage yeah. at all. <laughs> that's that's like his old slasher tricks, you know, where yeah. he's like um it's also because there wasn't a ton of money to do cuz he's known for elaborate like uh, prosthetics and blood Practicals, and stuff like yeah. that. Practicals, yeah. Savinia's He didn't as have well. any of that stuff because no, he wasn't going to be like, yeah, I want the, you know, I'm Romero, but I want, like, yeah. this is a Ren fair. There's not a lot of justification for, like, having bloods, you know, going everywhere or anything right. like that. So it's not like he had the budget for it. Although, in a key scene <laughs> that I was going to say, yeah, it's like a Ren fair, but I've, I, I hope this never happens. Occasionally, the motorcycles fly in the crowd and injure people. Yeah, yeah. it's just stunt. Which is unusual in normal rent fairs There's with a horses, few that I'm but... like, there's no way that that stunt person isn't hurt. Oh, like, from the stunts? Well, they yeah. eat shit on their neck with their back, right. like, head tilted Yeah, back. you see a lot of that front spoke. The front spoke's getting caught and the, and the bike going end over end and the person flying forward and just landing with their neck at a weird angle. Yeah. And, and you're, you're just like, like what? <sighs> there's no way you could fake that. I think I know? just watched somebody yes. break their Although, spine. Although, I bet the... I bet the woman in the stunt I'm talking about was fine because you can tell the way it was oh, cut up. But the mom who gets hit I by a motorcycle. I have to point out that a mom dives, dives? in front of a baby in a baby we don't carriage. Know she's dead. Dives, I said. Oh, dives. dives. Yeah, okay. It's but like no one... it's like the mayor getting shot with a motorcycle and you <laughs> intercept it. It's just amazing that she does like the no dive and gets hit by an airborne motorcycle that's just like <laughs> that it gotten away child. from one of the nights. Right, yeah. but it's still off the ground. It's like a frozen rope yeah. to you know to left field. I, I <laughs> immediately because I just wrote for this one I, I just Usually I try to have like a structure to it, but this time I just wrote like what I was thinking in each scene. Yeah. And this one I definitely thought I was like, I wish like 50-50 how when they go for anachronism versus like when they go for like 
oh, it's just the world. Because uh, I, like, I thought it would be funny if at one point the king, Ed Harris, goes like, that <laughs> that motorcycle got free and went wild? Behead it. Because <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what they used to do. <laughs> would they behead a horse that like trampled a nobleman? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They'd ceremoniously <laughs> the, execute yeah. the yeah, horse. Yeah, they'd be like, you're a fucking... I wrote down at the same point, the guy who refs the joust looks exactly like Lil Dicky. Do you guys know Lil Dicky? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who really believes in the magic of the place. Yeah. yeah. And the happy ending for Pippin the announcer. Yeah. Who, which I thought it was, this movie, because it's from the 80s, early 80s, has a funny way of being progressive while being regressive. Yes. So they're like. It's a clumsy, clumsy mishandling of sexuality. The, but over coming and over from again. a good place where they're like. We should deal with this. We should be open and talk about gay stuff. So we'll have a character. We'll have a scene where a character go where everyone goes, you seem gay. Are you gay? Yeah. It's cool if you're gay. And he goes, you know, I don't know. I'm always trying to figure that out. And then they all go, then you're a coward. That's like, make <laughs> yeah. up your mind. Like they rag on him for not knowing whether he's more, gay or not. That scene is him. They're all sitting around the fire and poor Pip is sitting there and his best friend, who's a woman goes, Pip, are you gay? And he goes, yeah. uh, why don't we talk about it later? And, and she goes, no, no, we're outing you now. <laughs> and everyone gets quieter on the fire and they're like, yeah, are you gay? Yeah. And he's like, I don't really want to talk about it. And they're like, are you gay? And he's like, they're like, there's other gay people here and we're fine with that. And he's like, I don't know if I'm gay or not. And they're like, oh, Oh, yeah. and they don't know. Like someone's like his friend Brooks. They're like, that's what we like about Brooks. You know, it's fine that she's gay because she knows who she is. But whatever, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then the happy ending for him that I love is little Dicky goes, "Hey, when this is all over, do you want to be lovers?" And he yeah. goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. That's the end of the microphone. That's yeah. the end of the arc. It's how great. are we? How are we not talked about this? The fucking best this, Stephen King cameo of all oh, time. Oh yeah, of course. Is it him? Yes. Yeah, it's how he's. Yeah. I just wrote guy that looks like Stephen King. No, that's King. Stephen King. He's, you know, he's credited as Hoagie Man. Hoagie Man. <laughs> he's hoagie. just eating a sandwich that and saying random shit from the peanut gallery. That is, he gets three shots. But he's shots. fantastic in it. He's fantastic. I totally get it now because George Romero probably said, you want to... You, don't you want to play the voice of the dumb masses criticizing your shit that so, they don't yes. get? Because that's all the segue. shit he's improv is he keeps calling the show bullshit. Yes. He's like, no, it's all lights it's and all mirrors fake. and shit. Yeah. And, but my favorite thing is that his hoagie is the most, it's like three tomatoes precariously stacked so they arc out of the hoagie <laughs> in so, a way that you could never hold a sandwich it's that It's the hoagie <laughs> Yeah, you were going to say. Uh, so that's a good segue for why I like this movie so much. I, I think that uh, you're right, that he represents, that the, he probably went to Stephen King and was like, do you want to be the bad guy in my film? Like, do you want to be, do you want to represent the ugly masses and like the wad out there? <laughs> yeah. And Romero, in most of his movies, the wad is the bad guy. Like, the masses are the bad guy. And in yeah, this the movie, zombies are mindless consumers. I yeah. think that's the same in this movie. I think that you have the, the bloodthirsty audience who is constantly coming to these shows and you catch up on them every once in a while. We're like, we, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of sh- action shots and then you go to the crowd to see their reaction yeah. and they're just going nuts for it and they're all kind of like, ugly and weird and like yeah <laughs> they're getting really bloodthirsty for everything that's happening on the battlefield when people get hurt they get very excited and like i think that in they're supposed to be the bad guy in this movie which is this it's this ugly gross crowd that demands you kill yourself for it yeah i yeah that all scans for me it's just that i also can't accept the reverse point which would be 
so can't we just have no audience here and do this for the pure beauty of jousting on mm. motorcycles? And I'm like, that's not a thing. No one <laughs> values that. No one asks That's not either. an art form. <laughs> yeah. I, kinda, I think you're being too practical. <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I agree with both. Like, I don't think what you're saying, Michael, necessarily damns this movie, right. but I don't think, Soren, what you're saying makes it succeed. <laughs> like, sure. it's, the, the problem yes. is that it's just a movie made by people who are fucking idiots. Like, not the movie makers but right. like they're making a movie about fucking idiots yeah and they just can resolve their problems in a lot easier ways like they take so much shit for granted like the fact that he's so good that the having a king is so amazing that like him sacrificing himself or like no one's asking you to do that like i know <laughs> what you, like your point about the gladiators and like just the idea of like the blood lust the lustful blood the crowd yeah they need the blood crowd crowd. yeah yeah uh that i understand that but i don't think that the point is salient coming from romero like he's the right guy to say it yeah but i don't think that what he says has any validity (laughs) whatsoever not because he doesn't have the right thing to say it's just that it's one of those questions that's impossible to answer yes i hate movies that take tackle a problem that is really huge great problem and ask the question what's up with this but then positing to give an answer i'd rather either watch a popcorn movie that only gives answers and it doesn't matter or a movie that asks questions and gives you no resolution this is this weird propagandist middle ground that i just can't stand behind (laughs) i the other thing i really liked about this movie is that the stunt coordination um, because it is so kind of dirty and greasy and like clumsy. So it's done by Gary Davis and Gary Davis is like famous stunt coordinator. He worked on speed and Terminator two and like ghost and uh, independence day. (laughs) He did. So he's, yeah, he worked, he's done a ton, a ton of work. And and the, this is clearly not his style. No, uh, the fights (laughs) are, it's every single fight scene. It's like, God, I, like this is kind of uncomfortable. Like in a way, a real fight would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you can't without clumsy. without yeah. tons of money that they didn't have. They're obviously not faking the shots where they joust each other in the chest. Yeah. they just did it. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing else they could have done. They had right. armor, but <laughs> yeah. like it wasn't great armor. So they, you can tell that they're kind of pulling their punches somewhat. Yeah, but they're they're told as actors and the actors want to believe like no these guys are like balls to the wall so you want to make it seem like you're hitting them but don't hurt anybody because it's a production well it's like low level yeah like low level wrestling where people are like cutting themselves with razor blades to bleed and stuff like that and it has that same feel to it where it's like the the fighting doesn't look flawless or polished everything's really kind of messy and I really like that about it because it Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's it feels like dirt bike culture yeah Yeah. or uh, dirt bike culture like there's like the it is that backyard wrestling type of vibe to it where nobody's really good at this yet but like man is it fun to watch people bleed (laughs) (laughs) right I remember having that because the first sequence the first sequence where they're like fighting and it's just like the little tiny clinks of like the mace first they just have a chain on like a a wooden stick as one of the main weapons yeah and it's like that's you're just gonna chain whip someone that is insane uh that's happening but it's doing the cut like we we're talking about earlier like the 70s slasher cuts where it's just like a shot of a chest plate and there's it's too fast but it, and it's in a super close-up and you just see something hit it yeah and then you see a hand raise and it's just a, a mace or a morning star a with, with sky in the background and it's like quick cutting uh that is reminiscent of like 
how we used to make movies when we were in like high school yeah. and stuff. Because it's you, you, you just get the pieces that you need. It doesn't feel like you don't get the why because you can't get that shot. Right. But at the same time, Ed Harris walks in and then I immediately go, oh, I'm not watching that. I'm watching a real movie. <laughs> it's just this weird mix of like you're saying backyard wrestling and also real filmmaking. Yeah. I, I often found myself wondering what Ed Harris was thinking about this as he was making it. Yeah. But I guess now that I know it was like a 90-day road trip, I bet he just thought that sounds fun and did it. Yeah. And it probably was a blast. Yeah, it probably <laughs> was. It was also his first like lead. Right. So it's feature. he wasn't... So this is before yeah. the Abyss? As choosy. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah this this is way bit, everything's yeah. falling. And I'm pretty sure here. it's all shot in natural light. Like I didn't yeah, see anything that indicated lighting. lighting. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, so a lot of things make more sense. But I, so I also have a problem with movies where it makes sense only through the symbolic lens. Because <laughs> the moment I just wrote like, why? Yeah, I don't understand why it. this is happening. Is um, during the final battle, Sir Alan's bike breaks down. The mechanic blames herself. Uh, and Friar Tux, I thought it was his wife, but sexual partner, the photographer of the group, mm -hmm. is going to take pictures, and he goes, let's just keep this in the family, and pushes her camera down. Yeah. And I was like, what does that mean? Why did we cut to this? Who? What's his motivation? What's her motivation? And nothing gels except now I understand. It's purely a symbolic statement that don't look at your phone, just enjoy this. But I'm like... But that's not what those characters would do for any no. reason. Yeah. There's no reason for him to say that to her. I was yeah. trying to appreciate this not as madness, mm -hmm. and I need to let go of that. <laughs> there's, there's a clear indication of a very long arc with the uh, photographer um, yes. being the symbol of like the documentarian of the group because that's kind of what they're... The, the charge of the movie filmmakers himself because there is that one interaction where Morgan's getting like the photo spread with him and just the cod piece and yep. stuff like that and he's quote unquote selling out and they're making fun of him and Gennaro from Jurassic Park is there saying like yeah baby yeah and they're like well, how come we couldn't get her the documentarian our normal photographer yeah photos ah it's it's beneath her it's crass but the reality is they think the studio work uh, those photographers are will better, do a better right? job yeah. you know because they're using all the lights and stuff like that and she's like yeah I've done some studio work I like it and he's like ah you wouldn't like this you're it's your high art. So I didn't know whether to read that symbolically or simply as a sign of they have to show how the selling out is starting to fragment the group. Do you think yeah, it's both? I think it's both. Okay. It was that, and then I think there was probably another few beats in the arc of the photographer. It's like trading your indie lens for the professional lens. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. I think that, uh, I still really think that Romero is making a movie about making movies. And I think This that, is the house yeah. the Jack belt for George Romero. Yeah, yeah. a little bit, yeah. <laughs> And it's and you think that there's clearly indications of missing arcs that make that line like just keep it in the family. I bet there was another beat where she was having to having turmoil over the fact of she was like, I see the point of what all this is, like what the point of this commune, but I can't make money just showing photos to you guys. What's my function here? What's my role? Right. If we don't like publicity and I am, uh, you know, basically an agent of publicity, like what's my role in here, even though I love it. Like, would Ed Harris's, would the ultimate iteration be a self-sustaining secret Ren fair that, that no one's, <laughs> yeah. no one's invited to? You, you have as many dirt bikes at your disposal as you possibly need for this. The The weapons man has can spend as much money as he wants on weapons. 
and and you just get and, to do and, it in the woods by yourself. Anyone who shows up, it's not <gasps> to watch, it's to join the knighthood and participate. That's it. It's just <laughs> playing pretend. That's what it is. Yeah. It's like it's Which that's what making. Romero wants. Yeah, is yeah. just the playing pretend aspect of it. It's like, look, if we could all do this for free, like let's all do it. You can get whatever your other job is. Whatever else you need yeah. to make money, go do that. But like, this is for us. This is just ours over here. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, no, like we're filming this for a reason. <laughs> Let's give it to everybody. This is also in some ways a prototypical fight club. Yeah. We're like, no, we're just going to take our dirt bikes out to the gravel pit and fuck around. <laughs> Forget, around. Forget all this money, money, <laughs> money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it is pretty hilarious to me that there's like missing aspects of the commune lifestyle that the film rarely i don't know how it sustains like, itself how to, really yeah, yeah not only that i mean they they're talking about how they're making money and stuff like that yeah. and let's just assume in the rules of the game like they're getting spreads in magazines and stuff like that they have merchants that travel the, with them and sell yeah crafts. there's like a really it, but the, sh- the the sheer amount of paperwork for any scene that happens that they mm. ha- they do in the movie like they just go off on the side of the road and bulldoze just areas for like no they have no law permits they have no zoning <laughs> laws that they're not breaking right, and right. then they like have a funeral just like let's just uh, go in this farmland and have a funeral like everything they do is just they Why, don't how interact are they allowed with to the do law, that? Except one except time one time do you want to talk about the well, law yeah, I guess we should get to it scene? but just they yeah, I was going to say, well, especially when your tactic, when the cops do come and are like, do you have permits to do this? What's going on here? You go like, I am the king. <laughs> Fuck you, pig. I ain't giving you, you a goddamn cent. Like, Billy comes out hard, fuck the police. Yeah. And it's like, we're not bribing your fat ass. Go eat some fucking donuts, you piece of shit. To the only cop Arrest me. who's ever. And it's true, the cop wants a bribe. Yeah. And he's a piece of shit. But I assumed they were paying bribes. I was like, how will I get upset? How else are they doing this without bribing the local police? Right. <laughs> um, and that arc is a one-two. One, they get arrested for the night and the cop brutalizes their friend. Two, a full two and a half hours later, yeah. Billy somehow in the middle of the night rides his motorcycle directly to the restaurant the cop is in and just walks in and beats the shit yeah. out of him in front of everyone. And they... And they applaud, which yeah. means they somehow know, oh, this is righteous. No, this dude dressed as a knight. It's This cop is bad. <laughs> like, clap, clap, clap. He, he, he shoves his face into a soft serve machine and turns it on and then throws him and locks him in a freezer and everyone claps. It's one of the greatest. <laughs> the old cold head. He's yeah. coming in the old cold head. So Stephen King sandwich cameo and that scene to me, not worth two and a half hours, but really good Like on my expectation walking in this movie and then walking away from it going like you know what I'm glad I watched this movie Ed Harris beating the cop is worth watching it's <laughs> but, pretty amazing but it still makes no sense that the it, patrons in the restaurant know that this is all fine. he's ruining their meals like he's throwing them into the, like anyway it's it, and it's also symbolic it's like it's he throws his gun into a deep fryer yeah he puts him on a soft serve machine like it it's like, but I love the statement. It's it, like, it might as well pig, be a you fucking donut. pig. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the crudest form it's of protest. So, it's like, cops, you're fucking pigs. Eat your gun, you piece of shit. <laughs> How's your own shit taste, you piece of shit? <laughs> yeah. 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 Pours ice cream on his head and puts him in a freezer. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in a suit of armor. And it was back in the day when. 
it looks like a fast food joint, but they had a full salad bar. He pushes him over the salad bar, cleanly wipes all the freshly chopped vegetables onto the floor. Like if you had just ordered bottomless salad bar, yeah, you'd be, like, be oh, pissed. Yeah. I love that immediately after that, because he's just like tying up loose ends. He goes to the kid who asked him. He somehow knows where exactly. the kid. Again, he finds this kid wherever the kid is. Whatever the kid is, who he didn't sign the autograph before. And he's like, I don't sign autographs for this kind of piece of shit. And then he goes there, interrupts the Pledge of Allegiance. Everyone stops and goes, oh, Oh shit, he's in a suit of armor. He gives this gives the kid a weapon. <laughs> he gives him Excalibur. He gives the kid Excalibur. And he goes away. And then it's like I just wanted the teacher to be like, this is a classroom, sir. That's the thing is he just starts beating the shit out of her. Yeah, fuck you, pig. Fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, you fucking pig. How's your own shit taste, pig? Again. There's another soft serve machine. <laughs> we should not have caved to the student demands for soft serve machines in every classroom. I really don't think that's the problem. Yeah. But yet again, the students and teacher just pause and politely let the scene transpire. And you're like... This is like an active shooter situation. <laughs> a man in a suit of armor just rolled up on a motorcycle and is handing swords out to the children without stating his business. <laughs> but I also love that. I didn't even get the symbolism of he interrupts the Pledge of Allegiance. It's like, fuck the law. Renfair is more important than the law. And yeah. you know what? Yeah. Renfair is more important than America. Okay. Renfair. 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 It also means that Ed Harris had to go through like some other classrooms and be like, that fucking kid's Where's not that here. Fucking or he somehow got a, like a list of the kids' classes before that point. And we had like a whole logistics series uh, where he's just going through and be like, okay, this is where the kid goes to school. Okay. At 10 a.m. He's got this class. No, no, no. History's no good. He's not getting a great grade and he's got to bump that up. All interrupt art. <laughs> I like the idea that he went home and he like met his his parents. Have you seen this boy? And they're like, no, we're not gonna tell you where our child is. He's at school. Uh, <laughs> Stranger, he's, some like, other way. he's like, do you have a freezer? Because I'm gonna shove you right in it. <laughs> and you know that teacher just saluted as he left. Yeah, just was everyone like, is uh, thankful for his chivalric mayhem. This is, truly replaces the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. There was one scene in this movie that made me. Uh, cringe only because of my squeamishness around blood mm. and it's after um, the wizard what I can't believe we haven't even okay. mentioned Merlin, Merlin. Yeah, so there's played a Merlin doctor sometimes. played by brother blue yeah and covered in Hannah tattoos of butterflies that's right and he's <laughs> so he's both a doctor and he believes in spiritualism and magic as well and so he's stitched up Ed Harris at one point and you see him he's got bloody gloves on and then picks up his harmonica and starts playing it with bloody gloves yep. and i i was recoiling in my chair like yeah. don't, don't, don't 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 put the blood in your mouth <laughs> i did not that didn't was... occur to me because at the same time i believe he's improvising a song about king billy that includes a lot of scatting there was yes. a lot coming at me <laughs> <laughs> there was a big scene and also the harmonica had some weird things hanging off of it some tchotchkes and things like yeah, that yeah, it yeah. wasn't clear how those were attached but uh the, however they were affixed they were also dangling all over the bloody the blood, gloves and yeah. I was I was I could not concentrate on anything because I was like you're a trained doctor take your gloves off yeah. <laughs> don't do this to yourself it's, right it's going right in your mouth no <laughs> yeah. 
He just starts doing that thing where you like pop your cheek. Like <laughs> He's like, you want to see me turn my inside, <laughs> eyelids inside out? Watch this. <laughs> I really expected the last butterfly that he reveals on his palm at the funeral yeah. to come to life and fly into there like reading Rainbow, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> it kind of had a Pete's Dragon vibe. Well, everyone's arc, I mean, the mechanic was just kind of there to be cheated on and then forgive Morgan for deciding to stop cheating on her. Yeah. But I... I'm a sucker. So I was touched when Morgan gets the crown and gives her the crown. Like I was like, I don't even know exactly what all this means or what it says about filmmaking, but it was somehow touching to see Ed Harris give the crown to Morgan. I'll admit and that. And he was like happy was and everyone's and like, oh, he's happy. And he's- to see Morgan, the guy who's like, this troop's stupid. I don't even, this is dumb. But yeah, I'll, I'll be there at practice. And then to, to the, for that scrappy kid, he's like the Rudy of the group, you yeah. realize. Because they're also, I love he has a little monologue about how he just likes motorcycles and jousting. Because oh. people, like you realize Morgan Le Fay is a, the evil person and a woman. And he's like, I don't know anything about any of this. I just enjoy motorcycle riding yes. or dirt bike riding. I yeah. really, that was a great reveal for him. Yeah. Yeah. It was early in the film where he's just like, I just really like motorcycles. Like, yeah. I'm not, the jousting, sure, I, I'll play this game, but it's really the dirt bikes that I'm into. Yeah. Vroom, vroom. Vroom, you catch it. And he's really good at it because yeah. he loves it. Billy also bans pot from the... I yeah. Do, I had a couple questions. Let's L- talk about drug use in this Yo, movie. Is that just supposed <laughs> offset or onset? <laughs> is that just supposed to be like breaking conventions? Because like, look, we're we're very much like sixties ish and easy writers ish, but he cares so much about art. It's not even about the drugs, man. No, I think it's the expect his expectations for this group are unachievable. <laughs> right, right. Like at every yes, turn. He's yes. just his his idea of what this should be is not something anyone can ever live up to. <laughs> right. And that's why it's always on the precipice of just crumbling underneath him. Because everyone's like kinda trying, but he puts yeah. a lot on everybody else in this troop. And eventually it starts to deteriorate around him until some big event happens and then everyone's like Okay, I guess well, I guess we can come back together. I guess we can band back together. But he's he wants too much of everybody. And so there's like he there are people who are using gra- using weed in this movie and like oh, yeah. using drugs in this movie, and it's fine. And these guys are not bad guys in the movie, but right. he's still like, you can't do that. Yeah, like, yeah it's not a lot. Why? You're having a council <laughs> meeting. I wasn't even here. They're like, well, you rode off in the middle of the night for three days. And he's like, you can't have a council meeting. <laughs> yeah. The king is not here. <laughs> well, he was like, yeah, I mean, so, he, he's definitely trying to... M- for a lot of the movie, I wasn't sure if he was genuine about like including everyone. By the end, you kind of get that vibe, but he was clearly like, no, this is the way it works. He's tyrannical in his thing. Like, yeah. He's like, no, I'm going to go get arrested by the police in order to do a very good thing, which to w- witness. It didn't like, work, by the it way. Didn't work, All he did was provide but, a witness, yeah, yeah, a jailhouse witness. But I mean, hypothetically, that is... It's like I'll get myself arrested for my friend yeah. to try to help be make chivalric. sure that they don't like kill yeah. him or beat him up. Which is what a knight would do. Which is what it, yeah, so I get it. <laughs> but then he tells them he's like, You need to stay here and not go to our next place. Yeah. Bakersfield or whatever. Because <laughs> for reasons that I'm not gonna go into right Why? now. Why? And then <laughs> when they don't and like the queen steps up and is like, I'm gonna we're going to do both things. We're not going to lose money. We're going to go to the Bakersfield, but like you go do that stuff. And I'm, I'm delegating. I'm we'll doing what the a group queen or a king does makes it work. And I was like, we'll see. That's, 
that's the happy balance that no one ever in the movie that's your points AD. to. That's your executive producer. Yeah, no one in. ever points to and say, well, obviously that's a very balanced assessment of this yeah. problem. It's like all or nothing. It's like smoke weed and all day, or it's everything has to be my About way and movie. I'm tyrannical. It's those ideologies hitting head to head. And that's why I'm like, well, they don't have to. You just if you subscribe to one way or the other, you're a fucking idiot. Just yeah, don't th- do well, that. That's why I think it's interesting the order in which they happen because it follows right. Like even the van scene where he tries to control the music that fills the space is towards the end. Yeah. So I feel like you could read that as like post production, like he ba- we see setup, action, post production, and maybe the handing over the crown is that moment where like, as every filmmaker says, there's a moment where you are like, well, the movie will never be exactly what I imagined in my head. I guess we'll call it done now. Or someone with money goes, your money limit ran out. It's done now. No movie is exactly what the director envisioned. So I just wonder if the crown passing over to Morgan is basically him saying, yeah, I can't control what my cast... I can be a tyrannical director, but at the end of the day, the act it's a collaborative art form. The actors are going to bring stuff to it that isn't exactly what I imagined, and I have to let go of... But I wanted Morgan to be like... I imagined Morgan <laughs> with longer sideburns and like this way, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. I took it a different way. I thought he was, he was putting to bed his uh, being in charge of like slasher culture, saying like he's passing off the generation. But then why does he get... <laughs> so the sequence is... The group's deteriorating. He realizes he can't keep it together himself. He snaps. He leaves. He goes to the school and autographs the thing. He goes and beats the shit out of the cop. I'm sorry. He gives Morgan the crown, leaves, does those two things, and then dies. Yes. Have we wrung all the meaning out of that sequence? Because it seems so fraught. It's like simple, 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 simple. What is that? If that's Romero, or I guess maybe it's hitting at different levels. That's what's hard about it, is you're like, are you saying you, Romero, are done with Slasher Fix? Right. Are you saying all directors must eventually give the film to the audience? Did Billy learn that? Or did he die because he can't learn that? Is he like, no. Right. If the movie's not what I want, I'll get hit by a bus. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he died because his time was over and he doesn't... That This is how I'm reading the film. I think that's the point of the symbols is that Unsatisfa- in an unsatisfactory way, yes to your all of those, which is not an answer. <laughs> right, and right, I understand right. why that's frustrating. Then, yeah. But that's like the nature of these kind of things. And I know, Soren, you don't necessarily subscribe to Romero feeling like he's the director as a symbol yeah. in this movie. I wanted to get your take on it before I answered. I don't know that. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he's the. He's. He's supposed to be Ed Helms in this. Ed Helms. He's not supposed to be, Dude, Ed, supposed Ed, to be Ed, Helms, Ed Harris yeah. in this. I think that what he's saying is that. Okay, so like in in uh, Birth of Tragedy, like Nietzsche, like just yeah. the the idea of it is that in a, in any sort of story, you're always trying to get back to zero. You're either going too far in one direction, which is chaos, and then trying to get back to zero, or you're going too far into order and then trying to get back to zero. So like chaos would be uh, vampires and then like yeah. zombies and things like that, and then on the order side would be like Logan's Hunger Run. Games. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you're try- and usually your protagonist is the one that's trying to get you back to zero, mm-hmm. but in this film, it feels like you're you're kind of like all over that spectrum. Like you've got the people who are the order on one side, which is uh, the lawyer from Jurassic Park, which yeah. is like the polish. And they're cool like the, lawyers, Steve. Yeah, the slick, yeah. <laughs> the slick like polished side yeah. or like, or, and where you need to have money and everything for this. And then on the other side, you can you have the, the danger of selling out. And on the other side, you have 
the last show that they do where people are getting hit we're by not, bikes and, and like, like a Nazi biker gang comes and goes, we'll fight too. And, and they're they like, just join. they've brought their own <laughs> armor and helmets yeah. and things yeah. like that. And so it's these two things. And so there's, there is no good guy trying to get you back to zero. Instead, it's the two sides, like trying to work you back. So, on one side, Ed Harris is not a good guy. If he had his druthers, it would be way too far skewed to like, to, we just do dirt bikes. Like yeah. that's all we do. And, uh, and on the other side is, uh, Morgan who's like, no, we have to like, we have to pay for this. Like it's, mm-hmm. I'll do a, sh- I'll do a shoot in my cod piece. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> and I can sleep well tonight. And you need, even though you don't like either one of those guys, you need both of them to keep you at zero. And that's kind of how film production is. Yes. Not, everybody kind of doesn't like each other that much. Like they're, everybody grates on each other because people are only worried about their one specific thing. Mm-hmm. If they had their druthers and they had everything they wanted, you'd have a bad film. You need yeah. everyone to balance each other and yeah. like keep it at zero. And that feels like what they're trying that's to do right. here. Zero-sum game of if the art director, If the art director didn't feel pressed for time, something else would have been sacrificed to that time. Yeah. There's no... Like it's such a hard job to be AD because you have to you can't be like sensitive or take anything personally because AD's job is to know everyone you go to and go it's time we got to do it now they're always going to be like but this is my art and I could do a better job <laughs> yeah. if you gave me more time just give me three yeah. more and AD's minutes. job is to go but yeah. I'm looking wow. at the whole thing yeah. and you're done now you're out of time <laughs> yeah <laughs> I gave you three minutes five minutes ago yeah and so now you don't get more minutes that's a hard task. Um, I mean, they could have let some of the ladies try. I feel like the queens were kept very quiet. Uh, oh, that's, that's, that's a product of the that's time period as well. Yeah, yeah. where the women so. were not real characters in this. No. They were just there to be breasts occasionally. I think you're absolutely right about that. The zero-sum game of collaboration being kind of... And that's why I think that it, it, the ramifications of the ending, to answer Mike's question, are broader in scope than just like it's a single moment of how... It is a collaboration and a filmmaker filmmaking enterprise that's what like this is all about is it's an analog for that but it has broader implications into like filmmaking's purpose in society and i think that that's what ed harris's character is he's kind of fulfilling the role of uh the self-destructive nature of the artist uh which is that the second that you get so you get notified of something so good like you're so good romero at slasher films you created a whole fucking genre you are the guy Everyone loves you, wants your autograph. Everyone thinks, wants to hear your opinion on where it's going. And then these other people just took and ran with it. And the 70s was the years, years of the slasher film. And this is 81. And he didn't make a lot of slasher films uh, in the late 70s. So like he had already kind of gotten over it, just and I think this is him. But it's too late. To He's bed. zombie guy forever. Yeah, yeah, putting to bed multiple things at once. Uh, first off, that in, on a symbolic note, one, how colla- the nature of collaboration, like you're talking about, Soren, about order and chaos, but also and additionally, uh, how something can be perfect and in its moment, uh, one of those magic and bottle or lightning in a bottle moments that you get in a de- every once in a decade kind of thing where it's like everyone was believing in this and he used Ren Faire as like you know the hippie commune as like the 60s mm. version of that but in the 70s it was like the slasher movie for him and the fact that you have to give your crown up and say the kids are going to run with it and do whatever they want and maybe someone will be on the side of orders. Maybe someone will be on oh, the same yeah. I no longer am a part of that Because it's also a repeated cycle. You're right. Like 
they stage a series of these events, that's probably a series of his films yes. in his mind and being like, yes. so giving up the crown is more like saying filmmakers will come after me. But I do think on an Ed Harris character level, like the actual meat space of the movie, because there's a long shot of him looking like euphoric before he gets hit by the bus. <laughs> yes. First of all, how much you want to bet there's a version of the screenplay where the bus was supposed to be a dragon and his hallucinations, yes. but they couldn't afford they, it. Or it didn't oh, look good. Because yeah. oh, it would shit. make many things that got foreshadowed make sense. Like, I'm fighting the dragon, yeah. namely. But I think it is like, I think you just made it clear to me that, or I think a good working theory is, you're right, he would go too far towards chaos, which is why... At the end, when he decides, I'm going to give up my crown. I'm done with this. In movie terms, that means I'm going to die soon. Yeah. So I'm going to go do the things that I would do if the world really were the way I like would like it to be, which is a chaotic soup of um, chivalrous people just like fighting for what they think is right. So I'm going to go beat up this cop because I think he's a dick. <laughs> yep. I'm going to make things right with this kid because I feel guilty. That's being a knight. <laughs> Bam, smashed by a bus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's kind of insufferable because that's the power that we give to directors and writers and If Ed Harris were my director, I'd be like this fuck this jerk off. Yeah, exactly. Like, like self-indulgent like, piece of shit. They're there to like notable figures are supposed to inspire something in, in like lead by example and stuff like that. Directors are this weird space where they there's a lot of people who you get such creative control that they become tyrannical about it and then, then the expectation is that it, it kind of ruins them. And I think that that ruinous aspect, a lot of people say like, oh yeah, we get it, you're deep. Yeah, you, you have to like cut yourself or whatever. You know, like there's a lot of like idea about self-harm or self-annihilation in the artist space. But, and there's a lot to be said about how they, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy to be able to, to like as an artist to be able to say like I'm the one who's told that I have to make all these decisions and everyone's telling me all the time way away I have to make decisions I have all the power it's like it's all this bundled up and the tendrils are so into it, like each other's side of this order chaos kind of thing that it's so easy to say directors and tyrannical directors are assholes in mass uh, but at the same time it's just like what are you trying to say? You're doing it yet again with this Knight Riders movie, Romero. You're trying to say something broader than you think you are able, that you think you, you crack some code, mm -hmm. that here's the solve. And the reality to me is that there's no yeah. solve about it. And maybe he's, may, I don't know. Maybe well, it's a Romero personal choice. There like but. There's Hitchcock movies that are undeniably great, but if you look into the, how it was made, you're like, but that's assault. Is it worth assault? <laughs> yeah. He actually assaulted that woman yep. to get that performance. Is that Kubrick's, worth it? Right. <laughs> yeah. Watch the making of The Shining. Or, uh, but The Birds is equally brutal. I did. I knew The Shining for a long time. I didn't yeah. know the, some of the shit Hitchcock got up yeah, to with like the not telling her in Psycho that someone was going to come in and not telling her the water would be mm. ice cold and shit. And Repeatedly telling press that actors are like sheep <laughs> yeah. is not a good... Not well, a, it doesn't build a lot of confidence from your co-worker. That I, one of the iconic shots of the woman getting attacked in birds was made by putting her in a room and throwing birds at her face <laughs> for three eight-hour shoot days in yeah. a row. Yeah, and There's, she got wounds near her eyes and shit. It yeah, was terrible. Uh, yeah. There's apparently a Kubrick in uh, Clockwork Orange. There's a scene where he's got a uh, he's got a boa constrictor like in his mm. drawer. Right. Yeah. And 
the actor who uh, did McDowell McDowell Malcolm McDowell Malcolm McDowell yeah he was terrified of snakes and that wasn't in the script it wasn't anything it was just like I want to make you uncomfortable well this isn't necessarily a scene where the character has to be constantly on edge no I just want to make you uncomfortable (laughs) and like just put a snake in his drawer and you're like that's your pet and he's like, I don't like snakes. I can't, like, I have a real he's phobia like, around Can them. I just act on edge if that's what you're looking yeah. for? No, <laughs> no, this is fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just torturing for the sake of torture. And wow. you're like, well, am I To be like, some? I just wonder if maybe we'll add some kind of energy to the scene. <laughs> but like, but you don't know. You don't yeah. know that it's actually helping the movie. You're just abusing me. You're just see. fucking around. What's insane, <laughs> what's insanity is if like you watch the making of like The Shining with Shelley Duvall, who's like, uh, Kubrick's like stra- saying straight up, like I wanted it. To, I wanted the making of this production to be like a horror movie for her. Like I wanted everyone in the crew to treat her like she wasn't there. Yeah. That she, you know, like shit on her and stuff like that. Do these horrible things, and then it cuts to like her doing an interview. She's like, yeah, it was like a, it was really a tribulation. Like it really sucked, but I know Stanley, and he's. I know that he's doing it all for the picture, but you can tell that she's She's like, is that yeah. true? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like one of those things where you're like, I'm looking at your eyes right now and your eyes are telling me help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, but you're saying all the things. Daddy but, only hits us because he wants us to behave. Yeah. So we'll have to be good better. lives. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's real. Uh, it's tough because then you also say, Nothing should die for film, but at the same time, The Shinings are really Milo good. And Otis. <laughs> Milo and Otis, nice movie to watch yeah, on a Sunday yeah, afternoon. Nice. 47 things die for film. Yeah. A lot of dead kits. Uh, just throw them in the river. All right, well, that's Knight Rider. Isn't there another thing Knight called... Riders. Oh, with the plural. Cause, okay, because yeah. Knight Rider's with the smart car T- kit, TV right? show came out the same year. That's weird. Mm. Maybe, they, I wonder uh, why... Got I, a, they got money from it. I, was gonna, I wonder if there was a lawsuit involved, because, yeah... Um, but this is Night Riders. I have officially reversed my position to if you like, if you're a hardcore film fan, sure, watch it, watch <laughs> it. But I want people to know that it's very long and meanders around in the style of that 70s style. If you like yeah. Easy Rider, you'll think this is fine. If you like Apocalypse Now, you'll think this is fine. If, if the Green Knight is one of your favorite stories, and Sir Gowan the Green Knight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and if you also dig dirt bikes, you're gonna love this movie. Was he the one who couldn't get beheaded because no. he was already dead? No, he was the one. He had to chase down a fairy queen. Oh fuck! <laughs> Come <laughs> on, lit classes. Yeah. Come okay. on, lit classes. Right. The Green Knight has. There's like a guy, a, 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 a beast of some sort that lives in a house made of grass, <laughs> like a sod and grass. Like it's in the ground. And I can't remember exactly why he has to chase him down because I'm mixing it up with Beowulf now. Are there multiple <laughs> Green Knight stories or only there one? There might be. Okay, because I know one about a banquet hall where a Green Knight comes in and says, whoever can behead me with one axe swing gets yeah. treasure or something. Okay. And they all don't want to do it because they don't want to kill him, but it turns out he's a ghost or something, so it's oh. a trick. I'm going to come in hard and Are say there... yes to fight a fairy queen knowing nothing about it. <laughs> the Green Knight gets up to a lot. I think we <laughs> he's need very to... Busy. He's just like Ed Harris. Arthurian legends are the shit. Yeah. I love them, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. Soren, tell people about your podcast. Okay, yeah, I... I've got a podcast yeah. with Dan O'Brien, who used to also work at Cracked with all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Quick Question with Soren and Daniel. Top, You got top billing on that one. Nice. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I get to be the front one. Although <laughs> in the logo, are you the first Q or the second Q? Second Q. Okay, nice yeah. balance. Way balance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yin Yang that fame. Baby. Yeah, you know. So this was a, Dan. I think came up with that title, and mm. of course, in Dan's style, 
said made it Soren and Daniel because mm-hmm. long suffering Daniel like he doesn't want to make himself the front. I also the, tend to put brand. himself it's in, the, in, the, in <laughs> yeah. the spotlight. And in credits, I like to put other people first because mm. you feel like you're so brave. It won't hurt you. <laughs> No, it doesn't. That's why he it does it. It doesn't actually matter. But, it doesn't matter. You're yeah. both on there. You both get the credit. You can apply to jobs with that credit. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. But I also saw what was happening and didn't complain. And of so course. now I'm. <laughs> no, but on Comedy Bang front. Bang, they constantly talk about were you above the line? Were you one on the call sheet? And I'm like, <laughs> I, I genuinely can say that never trips me up. I don't care about yeah. that stuff, which is nice. It's funny you mention that because when I think back to our those aren't musket days, a lot of our uh, off sketches were called Michael and Abe. Off sketches? We had like, remember Michael and Abe, like the one where you eat poop? Michael and Abe do blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That has to do, I truly believe. I think Michael and Abe sounds better than I think than it Abe has a Michael. better ring to it. I yeah, think that that's more that. makes a lot of that. sense coming from a Michael. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but there's something about a two-syllable one. Two-syllable <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abraham uh, and Mike. I anyway, this has been Frame Rate with Michael Swaim, created by Michael Swaim. <laughs> and my friends were here yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being here on my podcast, Abe. All right. Maybe I'll have you back <laughs> next time. <laughs> I'm your lonely host. God damn it. You're the little dicky to my Pippin. What do you... All right. We've gone on too long about Night Riders, but thank you, Josh. I just... Final thought. I don't understand the mindset of the guys who just wear tights and cheese on their head and play trumpets and they're still dedicated enough to follow the troop from town to town. That's all they get to do. Good at their job, Uh, though. Whatever it is. Till next time.